Turn with me to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Speaking of Jesus, now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. A confident young man. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come Take up the cross and follow me. Then Jesus looked around, but he was sad, sorry, at this word, verse 22, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23, then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And now they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Father, I just pray this morning, uh, Lord, as we look at your word, that um, God, you would do what you do best, Father. You would take it, you would translate it into the language of each person here. Father, you would speak to each of us. Uh, God, show us what you're saying to us. And uh, Lord, give us the strength and the courage to apply that which you want us to apply, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) What a fantastic story. (laughs) What a fantastic story. Jesus, what have I got to do? What? Are you serious? Give away everything? It's good news. Is it? Good news. Young man comes running to Jesus, calls out to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You find the same story in Matthew chapter 19. You also find it in Luke chapter 18. Um, Not every story is duplicated in every book of the Bible. But when I find one like this, that's in three versions and almost point for point, verse for verse, almost identical, little Tidbit added here in this one and a little bit in that one to paint a full picture, but the thrust of it, the core message of it is the same no matter which one (coughs) you read it in. This man comes to Jesus. What do we know about him? Okay, first of all, we know he was a man. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us he was a man. We know that he was young. In, In Matthew 19, verse 20, it tells us that this man was young. It reveals to us that this guy that came running to Jesus had youth on his side. How young is young? How long is a piece of string? As I mentioned before, young here may not be young in the under-12s and touch football side. If you're eight, you might be considered young in the under-12s. If you're 12, you might be considered one of the older ones. How young is young? I don't know. But what we do know is the Word of God tells us that he was a man. It tells us that he was young. In Luke 18, the story 
as written, told by Luke, <coughs> verse 18, says that he was a ruler. So we know he's a man, we know he's a young ruler. Now by ruler, what that probably means in that day was he was considered probably a, a lay leader, a elder, perhaps, in the synagogue. It doesn't mean that he was running a synagogue himself, but it means that he had a position of prestige within the synagogue. We know that he was rich because we know when he walked away from Jesus, the Bible tells us why he did it, because he had great wealth. So here's this young man. He's got youth on his side. He's wealthy. Let me ask you a question. Who in this room would not want to be young, rich and powerful? Who would not want to be young, rich and powerful? Is that not? (laughs) So you don't want to be powerful. In the words of Superman's uncle, with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man's uncle, wasn't it? Not Superman. Wrong superhero. Who wouldn't want to be young, rich and powerful? Let's face it. Just about all the, the, the stuff out there in the world that is trying to push you to be better and, and the world is full of it, self-motivation and, and this, that, to, to be better and better and better. I think the pinnacle is pretty much summed up in the life that this young man has. If we could put this in today's terms, this young man is, uh, who, was, who was that mayor that recently, uh, that, you know, in blocked streets and had the big wedding and, you know, drive, he, he's driving the most flashy sports car you can find. Salim. He's driving the flashiest sports car you can find. That's what this guy is. If we can translate this guy into today's language, he's driving a flashy sports car. That's because the second flashiest one's at home in the garage next to the third flashiest, which is parked behind the fourth flashiest. Everyone ever remember that old show by Kingswood Country? Yeah? I've just got to move the Toronto to get to the Kingswood to move the... (laughs) He's got all the toys. He's got computers. He's got a big flat screen TV at home. (coughs) He's rich. He's got anything that money can possibly buy. He's got it. He's also the mayor of his community. He's running the town. He's got influence. This young man is rich. He's got the prestige that goes with wealth. He's also got the prestige that goes with holding a somewhat important office in his religious community. He's a leader. He's a ruler in the synagogue. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how this all came about. Maybe he comes from a rich family. Maybe being a young man, he's inherited those riches, possibly. We don't know. It doesn't tell us how he got them. But being a young man, possibly he inherited it. Maybe his parents are really influential in the synagogue. Maybe his parents give lots of money to the synagogue. So they've taken this young boy. We'll give him a position of prominence. Don't, don't pretend that doesn't happen. We don't know how he got there. But what we do know is if we were to look at it today, if this man was walking around today, most people would go, he's made it. He's got it. He's successful. He's at the top of his game. Money to burn, influence, prestige. Everybody knows his name. He can call the shots. He's got power. He's made it. He's there. Most people would look at this guy and go, you're a success. The other thing the Bible reveals about us is this. He was looking for something else. He was looking for something else. He's got all the money. He's got the prestige. He's got the position. 
He's got the favour. He's got all these things. But deep down inside, when he lays his head down at night, there's something inside of him going, there's more. You're missing something. You're missing something. Your friends are all patting you on the back going, what a wonderful life. Yeah, you've made it. But when the party's over and the music has faded and all the alcohol's worn off and you're sitting there by yourself and it's just you, he's looking inside going, there's something missing. There's something missing. You know what? I heard about this fella called Jesus. He's been going around doing all kinds of freaky weird things. But I can't help but think there's something really right about this guy. I mean, he went to this town over here and he's healed sick people. I, I know, I'm hearing the stories. He, he, he opened blinded eyes. There have been, been drunkards and prostitutes and tax collectors, people that, that I've seen down in the gutters and all of a sudden they've got smiles on their faces. Their world's changed. And, and all I know is that they've had some sort of contact with... Maybe, just maybe, he might have something for me. Maybe he might be able to give me whatever it is that I feel like I'm lacking. Maybe he can give me whatever money can't. Maybe he can give me what the fame can't. Maybe he can give me what the popularity is unable to give me. Maybe he can give me that thing that deep down inside when I'm alone by myself at night and I'm searching for, maybe, just maybe, hopefully can be found in him. It's worth a try. Because I've tried all these other things. He's searching for more. He's got everything he wants and he can have anything he wants. How many of you know that there are graveyards all around the world? Headstones that testify to the fact that money cannot give you peace. Position and power and popularity will never give you the peace that you search for. All the toys in the world are not going to guarantee you fulfillment, satisfaction. All the relationships with the prettiest of guys and girls are not going to fill that empty, deep hole inside of you. As a matter of fact, we do uh, a lot of pre-marriage stuff with people and the first thing that we say to them is that if you are a lonely, uh, uh, self-centred, depressed type person thinking, oh, if I just meet Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, it'll all go away, it won't. You'll just be a lonely, depressed, sad type person in a marriage. You'll be the same person because you'll take who you are into that relationship. Don't think that that is going to make you a different person. Don't think that that will give you a satisfaction that you cannot find outside of relationship or money. Or If we can't find that thing, don't think that there's something that we can take or have or get or possess that will fill that empty void on the inside. And that's where this man is. The Bible says uh, that he ran to Jesus. It says, as he was going out on the road, as Jesus was going, he came running and he knelt before him. Do you understand how uncultural it was for a man in that day to run in public? For a person of his prestige to run in public was an extremely uncultural thing to do. But this guy didn't care. Whatever was missing inside of him, he saw Jesus and he thought, I'm not going to miss this opportunity because I know there's, there's something about this guy 
that I'm going to throw off all decorum and all culture and I don't care about the people that see me and know me and my desperation to get to him. I don't care. He threw all the cultural stuff out the window because he was so desperate to try to get that thing filled that he thought, I'm going to go to this guy because here's something I haven't tried yet. And not only did he run to him, he knelt down in front of this man. He knelt down in front of this man. There's no preservation of his own image in that moment. He threw his image out the window and said, I'll do whatever it takes to get to this guy because I think this guy has something. Matter of fact, when he calls him good teacher, Jesus isn't stupid. He picks up on it and he goes, why do you call me good? Everybody knows there's only one good, that's God. That was Jesus' way of saying, you believe in some of the stuff you're hearing, aren't you? You're getting it. You're starting to understand. I'm God. I'm God. And you're coming to God. Because you have a need and you have a lack, and so you want to come and bow before God. That's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. And at some point, each and every one of us in this room have done that. If you haven't done that yet, my prayer to you is that you would make that decision and you would do that. Because it's a starting point of real, true, lasting change. I'm not talking about bowing your knee before religion. I'm talking about bowing before a living God. A living God. His question to Jesus is this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? What must I do? What can I do? What do I have to do in order to get myself right with God? Now, I love the way Jesus interacts with people. He's incredibly smart. How many of you know that? Jesus had extremely good people skills. I guess that comes from the fact that you made people so you kind of understand how they operate. It helps to be able to see inside somebody's heart and mind as well. I'll give him that. We had a, a mouse in our house a few uh, years ago, a little, a little mouse. And uh, in order to catch that mouse, we'd be sitting there watching TV. You just see this thing out the corner of your eye. And see, they're quick, aren't they? It's like you just see this flash. Then when you look, it's almost like it would be, boom, gone. Be, and, and for a while there, you sort of think, I'm getting something in the sides of my eyes here. Just, I see these black things and there's nothing there. Then one day I spotted it because I it, it, it realised. I was standing still in the kitchen and it came flying out from behind the fridge and it ran out and it looked at me and went, oh! I froze. And I thought, I knew you existed. I knew you were here all along. I knew that was you, you know. And he looked at me in the knees, waited till I blinked, and by the time I opened my eyes, he's gone. Bang, back in behind the fridge. I thought, I know you're here now, so now what am I going to do? I'm going to do what every man does. I'm going to set traps. I don't care if it's that big. We like big things. You know, my mouse, we'll set a bear trap. We'll set a man trap. We don't care about these little... I don't care how big it is. I'm, setting the, I'm going to dynamite the back of the fridge. I'm going to get that thing. Because I'm a man. That's what men do. So anyway, we went out and we bought these mouse traps and put these traps together and put the traps in behind, behind the fridge. <laughs> um, and on this particular occasion, caught nothing. Stupid mouse. I don't know how he did it. He got the cheese. How does that happen? They get the cheese off. It's unbelievable. So anyway, we had to go out and we had to buy the baits. You know, they eat and they go off and, and, and die and we found them eventually then but it, it, it never ceases to baffle me though that mice can get cheese off a mouse trap. I can't even put the cheese on without a clip on my face but they can get on there and take the cheese it's weird, it shouldn't be but they can incredible creatures so I wonder when I set a mouse trap you know what a mouse thinks? I'm thinking 
I'm going to send you to your death. Dispel you evil thing. Get rid of you. You know what the mouse thinks? He thinks I'm rewarding him. He thinks I'm saying, oh, look, it's such a pain trying to get in the fridge, climb up the cupboard of the third shelf, get into the biscuit. Here, I'll just stick it on the floor near, right near your door. He sees that as a reward and he comes out and he takes it. Most people thought that with Jesus too. He would love to set traps. He'd set little traps and people would walk straight into them thinking, ah. And then at the last minute, he'd go, gotcha. That's what he does for this man. The man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says this. He says, well, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honour your father and your mother. This is what Jesus says to him. The guy turns around and goes, oh, I've done all those. <laughs> Seriously, have you? Have a good think about it. Are we naive enough to think that Jesus went, oh, he got me. What else can I come up with? <laughs> Gee, I didn't see that coming. How many of you know in that moment Jesus could have turned around and said to him, really? Okay then. I'm thinking seven, eight, hanging around the supermarket with your mates, the Jerusalem fruit and veg shop. I'm thinking walking past, grabbing an apple in the pocket, sneaking around the back of the Colosseum with your friend. I'm thinking, ring a bell? Oh, yeah, but apart from that, I've obeyed everything. Really? I'm thinking your dad got up and went to the toilet and you were straight down the back of the chair grabbing all the chains that fell out of his King G's, you know, them old baggy ones that our parents used to wear with the big pockets like that and no elastic and they'd lay on the lounge. Maybe it was just my dad. <laughs> and all the coins would fall out and they'd go down in the cracks of the lounge and when they were gone, you'd dig around pull out all the money, and they didn't know it wasn't there. Really? Yeah, yeah, but apart from that one as well, Jesus, you understand what I'm saying, right? I've basically, I've basically been a good person. Basically, I've been okay. Jesus could have nailed him. Jesus could have jumped on him. He could have given it to him. He could have, he could have pointed out all the wrong things that this guy had done and ground him into powder. Right then and there in front of everybody. Made this guy that came to him, humbled himself, just, you're on your knees now, but you're going to be on your face when I'm finished with your son. You've done this, 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 this. He said the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him. You know, it doesn't matter what you have done or what you haven't done. God loves you. And God loves it when we come to him. Whether we come to him with a right perspective or a right view, sometimes we come to God with a wrong perspective. Sometimes we come to God and our angle is skew-f. But he loves it when we come to him. He loves it when we come to him. He loves it when we present our life to him. He loves it when we kneel before him. He knows who you are, but he loves you. Isn't that an amazing thing? You know, a lot of us, we spend a lot of our life hiding things from people. Why? Well, because if they really knew who I was, how would they respond to me? I'm afraid that if you really knew me, you might not like me. If you really knew who I was, warts and all, you may not love me. Husbands and wives can do it. Partners can do it. Hide certain things because if you really, you know, if you really saw who I was, if you really understood, then maybe you wouldn't like me. Maybe you wouldn't love me. Let me tell you something. Jesus does know who you are and he loves you. Isn't that great? He loves you unconditionally. So Jesus says this to him. 
misses the trap. He says, fair enough, you've obeyed everything. You've done all the commandments really well. Here, I've got one thing for you. Here's one thing that you lack, okay? You might, you've got the other 99 down, perhaps there's one thing. There's really only one angle I can come from here. Yeah, right. I'm going to pick this one. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. One thing you lack. Let me tell you, the, the, the Greek word for lack, this is what it means. It means to be left behind in the race and to fail to reach the goal. To fall short of the end, here's interesting, to be inferior in power, influence and rank. He's this man that to the world, in power, influence and rank, he's right up there, he's got it all. Jesus sees straight through that into his heart and goes, all that stuff means nothing. All that stuff means nothing. Jesus isn't saying here that in order to follow him, all disciples must be devoid of material wealth. Let me clarify that. Uh, this would be a great one. I, you know, I can just imagine the minute I, I, I thought when I was getting this ready, as soon as I bring this up, people are going to be thinking, oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to pass the offering bucket around at the end of church now. <laughs> and unless I see you guys all driving old clapped out cars and wearing rags next weekend, you haven't done your job properly. We had this conversation the other day in an ice and safari. If you don't give it all, bang, you'll be struck down as you come in the doors. No, nothing like that. Jesus is by no way saying that you have to give up all your material wealth in order to enter the kingdom of God. We need to understand that because there is a, uh, an element of Christianity that has sort of held wealth and, and riches and prosperity at arm's length and, and communicated uh, at times that either it's the mark of spiritual maturity, it's the mark of God's blessing to have everything, or it's the mark of total humility to have nothing. Both extremes are wrong. And we need to find a healthy place in the middle. And this story doesn't justify either extreme. It exposes perhaps both extremes. Deuteronomy 28 we won't go there now, but Deuteronomy 28, God outlines all these blessings. You see, if you go back to Old Testament times, there was a definite correlation between material wealth and, and possession and God's blessing. It's there. Read Deuteronomy 28 in your own spare time. If you obey my commandments, this is what I will do with you. I will give you things. I will bless you. You will prosper. You will have money. You will have cows. You will have goats. You'll have, it's, it's there. So you've got to understand the mentality in this particular day is still along those same lines. They looked at people who were, had material blessing as this must be the blessing of God. This is God's favor upon your life because you have lots of things. And if you don't have, it's, it's because you have been disobedient. That was the way that, that things were communicated in Old Testament times. Obey God, do the right thing. Here's the result. Don't Here's the result, blessing, cursing, your choice, which one do you want? So when Jesus walks around, this is the mentality. So you can understand why people would look at this guy with everything and go, he must really be, be, be living the dream. He must be really pleasing to God. So you can understand also his response to the commandments. Yes, I've kept them all. I must have because look how blessed I am. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because I've got all these things, God must have blessed me. That's how you get it. You obey God and God will bless you. The disciples still felt that way and thought that way too because as the story goes on and the Bible says after the man walked away, Jesus turns to his disciples and says what? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were astonished, the Bible says. They were absolutely astonished at this. And then he goes on again and he says further on that those who trust in riches, it's really hard for them to make it. 
And then the next time, two, two verses later, it says they were greatly astonished. They went from being astonished at the fact that, Jesus, you're saying this rich, wealthy man, you didn't just say to him, enter in, when he said, I obeyed everything. Because they still felt the same way. They're looking at him going, well, good Lord, if this man who was wealthy and obviously only got that way because God has blessed him, if this man can't make it into the kingdom of heaven, how can we? And Jesus says, you know what? There's actually more chance of a camel getting through the eye of a needle. Now, let me correct uh, a misnomer here. Some of us have probably heard it preached that the eye of a needle was a, a, a secret gate in the walls of Jerusalem and that camels would come and they would have to take their packs off and get down on their knees. We've probably all heard that. Archaeologically, that has never, ever been found. That is not true. And it also makes no sense because if that was physically possible, why would the disciples be greatly astonished and say, this is impossible? It's not impossible. Take the bags off, get the camels. It happens every day. Jesus meant literally a camel going through a literal needle. That's why the disciples were astonished, going, this is impossible. It can't happen. It can't happen. When Jesus turns around and goes, you know what? You're dead right. With man, physically impossible. Unless, uh, whoever did that science trick as a kid, I did. I remember getting an egg. You ever get an egg? And you put a bottle and you put the, 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 um, the flame in there. Dr. Sumter Miller, I don't remember where I saw it, but you put a flame or something in there and you put the egg on top and the egg gets sucked into the bottle. I don't think you can do that with a camel and an eye of a needle. I'd like to try, but I don't think you can. So there's this connection in the Old Testament with wealth, riches, prosperity and the blessing of God. And there are two extremes. Poverty is because of Blatant disobedience, prosperity is because you've, you're hitting the mark. And this is the mentality that's still floating around in the time of Jesus. We know that's not true. It's funny though, we watch TV and so on. How many times have you seen portrayed in the films? It's the rich man who is the oppressor, the one ripping everybody off, the one doing the wrong thing. It's, it's this underlying thing that we see in movies and read in books that those with wealth and power now have, have got there either by doing the wrong thing or they're using that power, they're using that wealth for sadistic means or to oppress. And so, and so we've just got to be careful as a church that we don't make judgments on people who have or don't have. It's, it's not the main thing. It's not the focus. And it's definitely not the focus of what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. There's nothing wrong with having or not having. Here's the point. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Here's his response. He was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. And we don't have to wonder why, because it tells us. For he had great possessions. Let me rephrase that. He was sorrowful and sad and walked away because great possessions had him. Great possessions had him. 
if he had those possessions and he was prepared to undignify himself publicly to that degree to run, to fall on his knees in the dirt, to, to, to proclaim openly, you are God, then surely giving away a few possessions would not be a problem. You see, there's nothing wrong with having things. The problem is when those things have you. There's nothing wrong with having things. But don't let things have you. You know, I was talking to a person the other day um, about tithing, actually, and I'm not saying that in any connection here, but I was talking about tithing. And this person made this comment to me. They had decided to tithe, and so they were tithing uh, 10%. Whatever they got was a young person, and they tithed 10%. And as quite often happens when you challenge young people with this, if you've got a job or pocket money, tithe. It doesn't matter if it's $3, take it to church. Put it, get, get used to giving to God. And all of a sudden what happened was that person suddenly got more, uh, the following week as it got more hours. As a result of that, got more money. <laughs> and then that person, as we were talking, said, oh, it was easy last week to give the, the few dollars. But this week, because I got more, I took, took my tithe out and looked at it and it was more, it was so hard to give it. It was so hard to give it. Because I had done what God had required, I'm doing things right, and God blessed me, but then all of a sudden, because God had blessed me, now I'm look, re-looking at those priorities and going, well, hang on a second. Should I keep... Can God trust me? He can trust me with that. Can he give me more? Or do I own that? But when it becomes that, that is the point where he owns me. I own that, but that owns me. It reminds me of a story of uh, the three guys that were, were discussing uh, what they do with their, their money, the church leaders, when they got it. You probably heard this one. One of them draws a circle on the ground, throws the, uh, throws the money in the air, and he says, Lord, whatever you want, make it land in the circle. Whatever lands outside the circle, he keeps it for himself. The other guy says, well, I do a similar thing. I draw the circle on the ground, throw the money in the air, and I say, Lord, whatever you want, you make it land outside the circle. Whatever lands inside the circle, I'll keep for myself. I thought, well, that's a good way to do it too. What do you do? The other guy says, well, I throw the money in the air and say, Lord, whatever you want, you keep. Whatever comes back down belongs to me. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. It says, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Our job is we humble ourselves before God. And in God's due time, the Bible says that he'll exalt us. He'll give us platform. He'll lift us up. He'll do what, what needs to be done. Let me ask you a question. When is due time? When is the right time? I'll tell you what I reckon. The right time is when the blessing that he gives you causes you to draw closer to him, not walk further away. When God's blessing on your life is something that you can take and draws you nearer to him, that's due time. When it happens outside of that, it's not due time. If God's blessing upon your life means that you are going to retreat from him, then I'll, I'll, I'll go so far as to say this. It's probably not God's blessing on your life. See, these guys would have been looking at this young man going, he's wealthy, rich, and, and the understanding of the day. He must have got that way because he's been obedient to God. That's how you get this. I dare say that's not how it happened. Because when he was confronted with those possessions and the possibility of removing them from himself, 
If that was a blessing from God, no dramas. But that was the very thing that drove him away from God. It was the very reason why he turned around and walked away from Jesus with great sorrow. Great sorrow, meaning he must have been wrestling over it. He didn't just go, well, Jesus, you're actually not God. You're a bit... Off I go. He must have had this incredible internal wrestle over this issue. Can I lay this issue down? Can I lay this down at the foot of the cross? Can I give this to God in order to truly follow after him? You see, Jesus didn't say that to everybody, did he? Jesus didn't ask everybody to give away their things because things are irrelevant. The point of the story is not give up your wealth and your riches to follow after Jesus, follow after Christ and live in poverty. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm going to show you something. You're coming to me calling me God. You're asking me to fill that void in your heart. I want to fill that void in your heart. But guess what? There's something in the way at the moment. It's your love for money. It's your love for riches. If you could let go of that, let me into that part of your world, you'll find that I can bring to you that which you think you can't have apart from the wealth. Why could he not let go of it? It's an interesting question. What was it about the wealth? Let me tell you something. Usually, wealth is not just about wealth. Um, my wife was, was talking to a, a young girl this week, having a bit of a catch-up with her, and she was relaying a story of a friend of hers who uh, has this mentality that, that the, he earns a couple of hundred thousand a year. And the first thing he wants to know before he socialises with you is, how much money do you earn? And if you don't earn that, you're not in my league, is the term they use. You're not in my league. I've got no time for you. Because I only roll with people that earn around that. You know, I've heard this kind of preaching in, in, in churches, actually. You know? I get the spirit of what they're saying, but please, let's keep Jesus and the heart and the Father heart of God at the centre of all this stuff as well. God's concern and love for humanity at the centre of all of it too. He walked away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He didn't want to part with them. What was it about his wealth that made it so hard to give up? What was it that the riches fed in this man's life? Was it security? Did he feel secure? Because he had all this money. So if anything happens, if anything happens, if, if, if the kids need to go to the dentist, I've got the money there, I can. If, 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 if the car breaks down, I've got them. None of it inherently bad. But was he placing all of his sense of security in that? If I've got this, I can be secure. If I don't have money, guess what? I'm insecure. I've got nothing to fall back on. I don't trust anything else but my bank account. Was it prestige? Maybe it was the prestige that came with it. I'm a 200K man myself. I'm a half a mil man. I'm Steve Austin. What was he, the $10 million man? Was it $6 million man? Maybe it was the freedom that the money provided, that, that his wealth gave him the freedom to do what he wanted, when he wanted, because he wanted. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was the value. He felt valued. Maybe he felt like it added value to him. People looked upon him as a rich person as being somebody important. Maybe it was the opportunities that it afforded to him in life. Because I'm wealthy, it opens up doors for me. I can get into these places. I can make those nightclubs. I get invited to the best shows. I get box seats at Suncorp Stadium. Watch the Tigers beat the Broncos. Maybe it was that. Yet, how many of you know Jesus offers all those things and more? Eternal security. Knowing our future secure in Christ. Knowing that all my needs are met by my Father in heaven. He'll provide all my needs, the word of God tells me. 
Heavenly prestige. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. God knows me. The creator of the universe is with me. You get real freedom, the ability to become fully human, to deal with the stuff that's in the way, blocking you from fully experiencing God, fully experiencing love and relationships on this planet, and fully experiencing who you are and expressing yourself. Eternal value, because you finally know who you actually are. I'm valued apart from what I do, apart from what I have. I'm valued because I'm a child of the King. And that gives me value. You can't add any more value to that. Opportunity. God gives you the opportunity to have a purpose-driven, fulfilling life. If you're dependent on money to have that, what happens when there's a financial crisis? You see, when we, when we get these things, these sense of well-being and fulfillment from all this other stuff, what happens when it goes? And it does, it goes. It comes and it goes. Relationships come and go. Money comes and goes. Homes come and go. Cars come and go. Positions come and go. Jobs come and go. They, they come and go. What happens? You see, this man wanted freedom, but he wasn't prepared to let go and trust God. And that's the challenge for us. Are we prepared to let go of all this other stuff and trust God? That doesn't necessarily mean Jesus is saying to you, sell everything, give it. I don't believe he's saying that. I believe it's the question of do you have the stuff or does the stuff have you? You can only serve one master, Jesus said. He said, otherwise you'll love one and eventually despise the other. What happens if those two masters give you opposing opinions? Whose opinion do you listen to? Whose opinion is most important? And this is the issue. This man wanted freedom, but he wasn't prepared to let go. There's that old joke about the guy walking in the Swiss Alps and he comes around the corner and he slips down the hill. You ever heard that one? And he rolls down and he goes off the edge and he reaches up and he grabs a branch. He's hanging on by the branch. He starts screaming out, help, help, help. And nobody was there. Nobody's responding. Nobody's coming to his aid. And then he calls out in desperation, oh, God, surely you're there. Help me. And then he hears a voice on the top of the cliff going, here I am. Who are you? I'm God. Are you here to help me? Yes, I'm here to help you. But I just want you to do one thing. What's that? Let go of the branch. He pauses and thinks for a second. Then calls out, is there anybody else up there? We don't want to let go. What is it that you're hanging on to? What is it that if God came to you today and said, give it to me, give it to me, what would you struggle to give to him? Is there anything there? What is it that's stopping you from fully following after Jesus? God has good things in store for us and good things in store for his kids. A few years ago, my son Caleb, I took him up to, uh, he wanted to go up to the Gold Coast and watch, he was a fan of the, the Canterbury Bulldogs rugby league team. He wanted to go up to the Gold Coast, he wanted to watch a game of football. And so what happened was this particular, yeah, another Canterbury fan, so at this particular day, I made this secret little plan with Jackie. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and pick him up from school at lunchtime. Because he was coming home, he was so pumped to watch them on TV, they were the Friday night game. I said, I'm going to go and pick him up from school and I'm going to make up some story and tell him, look, sorry, mum's busy, I've got to go to a meeting up, up Gold Coast, you're going to have to come with me. Knowing that, you know, there'd be a bit of disappointment, but if I could play my cards right, I had a plan. I was going to get him to the game. So I went and picked him up from school. He comes out, he goes, oh, what's up, Dad? I said, look, I've got this thing. First question he says to me, are we going to be home in time to watch the football? I said, oh, mate, I'm not sure, I don't know. Can't promise you nothing, but this meeting's important. I've got, I've got to go, sorry. 
And he was good. Okay, that's okay, Dad. Fantastic attitude. We drive up the Gold Coast. We're driving up there. We're getting closer. We're driving along the highway. I can see the stadium over there. The lights are on. They're starting to direct traffic. He's still not getting it. And I go, oh, hey, look, before I go to the meeting, do you want to just go for a swing past the ground and see? Yeah, yeah, see if we can see any players. Yeah. So I go down. I pull down. He's still not getting it. In his heart of hearts, he thinks I'm ripping him off. He wants to be home. He wants to watch the game. He thinks he's not going to get to see it. I even pulled up at the, this guy with the ticket. I said, oh, mate, is that the car park for the footy in there, is it? He goes, yeah, it is. And I slipped him 10 bucks or whatever it was for parking. <laughs> I drove in. He still didn't get it. He's sitting in the car, this sort of, oh, this is really nice. But I could tell, you know, let's just get this meeting over. I want to get home. I got out of the car. I said to him, just get out of the car. Lock the car, mate. We'll go for a walk around. He still didn't get it. In the end, I had to turn and say, oh, Caleb, please. I said, look, can you open up that envelope here? He opened it up and looked at the two tickets. He still didn't get it straight away. And then all of a sudden, the penny dropped. We're going to the, yes, we're going to the football. (laughs) And we got to go to the game and he got to watch his heroes run around and so on. But you know what? He had to trust me. He had to let go of what he thought was going to be the pinnacle. And the pinnacle was sit at home, watch the game of football. That was the, he had to let go of that and he had to trust me. And he had to come with me. And he had to believe me. And he had to be prepared to not argue and fuss and scream and kick. And he did that. And I took him to something that was way better than what he was ever going to experience watching the game on TV. And that's what God has for each and every one of us. He wants to take us to a place in him. He wants to do things with our life in us and through us that are far greater than what you can imagine. The Bible says, in fact, that his plans for you how to prosper you, give you a future. He says that, that he can do far more than you can ever imagine or think. He just wants us to let go. Here's my question. Has God trapped you? Has God trapped you at any point? Has he said something to you, revealed something to you, shown you something, and all of a sudden you've gone... It was fun until then, God. I was really enjoying this. And then you want to put your finger on that? Well, God, I don't know that I want to let that go yet. I don't know that I want to deal with that. I don't know that I'm prepared. You've got two choices. You can let go. Learn to trust God. Go and talk to the person. Go and seek the help. Go and do whatever it is practically that can be done. Kneel before the Father and say, God, help me. Or you can turn around and you can walk away like the man did. You know, it's interesting in the Bible, and I actually love this about Jesus. A lot of people walked away from him. He didn't chase them. He didn't beg them. Because it's your choice. But what's very clear, while he didn't chase this man, he loved him. And he loves you. Will you press into God? Will you seek out the answers? Will you ask for help? Will you humble yourself? And will you accept God's assessment of you and your world? And respond when necessary.
or will you throw your hands in the air and walk away because it's just too much? Father, I want to thank you, uh, Lord, for your word and thank you, God, for, Father, the delicate way that you deal with people and the delicate way that you deal with our issues and the things that we have to deal with. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, um, God, you want to bless us, Father, that you have a road and a path for us to walk towards blessing. And God, sometimes that gets skewy and we forget the fact that you made us and you know what's best. Sometimes we get to a point where we feel like we know what's best. So Father, I just pray uh, right now, Lord, let the seed of your word germinate inside of us. God, if you're speaking to any of us about anything, and Father, I pray that, that when we get up from here, it wouldn't just be snatched away, we wouldn't forget and move on, but God, we would do business with you, business with others, business in whatever way we need to, Father. That, Lord, we would be people that, uh, God, uh, are free to follow you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and all our strength. We'd cast caution to the wind and make the decision to trust you no matter what it costs us. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. And uh, see you next Sunday. Sunday, that's right. It's Sunday, yeah.